Welcome to the Aegeas podcast series, Studio 2030, in which we bring you big questions, big ideas, and big debates about the future and how we can all navigate our way towards success. We discuss the trends that may change the way we think about the world and influence our views on what's most important. So there's a lot to talk about. Welcome to this first episode of the brand new podcast. I'm your host, Janka Fleerakers, and my co-host is Viola. Yes. Hello, everybody. My name is Viola Jedaitakec, and I'm strategy manager at the insurance group Agias. And I'm also one of the driving forces behind our internal think tank, Think 2030. We will kick off this podcast series by discussing the importance of long-term thinking with our guests Hans de Kuiper, CEO of IGS, and Vincent Defour, CEO of Trends Analytics Specialist Transition. Welcome, Hans. Welcome, Vincent. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Now, this episode is uh, all about uh, the future, but let me begin by briefly going back to the past again. Hans... When you were growing up, did you imagine that one day you'd become the CEO of an international insurance group? Oh, no, 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 not at all. Uh, my addiction to first mathematics came way later when I was uh, 18, uh, 19. It was actually my teacher in secondary school who told me that I should go in that direction. And then the insurance industry even came four, five years later. Mm -hmm. But once I got in there, I really got stuck in it and uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it every single day. Now, what does future mean to you on a personal basis? For me, future means uh, not too far ahead, honestly. I, uh, I like to live every single day and enjoy uh, the day as it comes. Mm -hmm. But professionally, of course, there is a need to look a little bit uh, yeah. further ahead. But I, uh, I do not reflect that on my, my personal life. So you don't have a clear vision on where you want to go on the long term in your personal life? No, from a position point of view, no, definitely not. Mm -hmm. But I, uh, what I discover is that I want to keep on learning, discovering new things. And mm -hmm. that has been the driver. Uh, I, for instance, went living in Asia for 10 years, working there for the group. And every single time it was a decision not because of position or future forward looking professionally, It was an opportunity to learn and discover new things. And that uh, mm -hmm. I did it for the thrill and the excitement of it. And Vincent, have you always imagined yourself as a child that you will once have your own company? Maybe not as a child, um, but if I look at who I am as a person and how my professional life evolved, I've always been like the, the guy who's out there, the entrepreneur, The, the guy who wants to try new things, set up new ventures. To take initiative. Yeah, yeah. Even when I was in college and later on, I had a small firm which was uh, focusing on web design back then. So I always have this urge to do something new with technology. And even when I was in, in corporate life, in consulting, again, I was the guy that said, okay, guys, we need to shift this oil tanker. We need to try new things. We need to set up... Um, new possibilities, try new opportunities and explore just what's unexplored, basically. Vincent, your company Transition, with an E, not with an A, helps companies to find out what trends will have a major impact on the future of their business. Now, 
Why is it so important for companies to always look ahead for what is coming? Well, what we see today is that companies have got it or are starting to get it that um, if you want to stay relevant tomorrow, if you want to stay ahead of competition, um, that you need to, well, we're living in a fast, unpredictable world. And if you want to stay ahead on top of this fast, unpredictable world, you need to anticipate change and anticipate change in the long term, mm-hmm. right? The facts are here. There are numerous examples of uh, companies that failed just because they didn't focus on the long term. There's even a, a really interesting McKinsey study that analyzes companies focusing on short term versus long term. And the results are really obvious. The companies who focus on the long term, they um, outperform their peers on almost any financial metric, mm-hmm. including um, company revenue, which is as much as 50%. And Hans, for insurance... How does it come together on the short, mid, long term? Well, insurance is a long term business as such, and, and specifically for us, eh, because we are an important player in the pension market. Eh? And here we have uh, customer engagements that run 20, 30. And for some of them, eh, I've met even people who were 40 years a customer uh, with us on their pension uh, savings. So we, we really have to look forward over several decades And it's also the fundamental of our business because whatever we do, we are the only industry where you design a product and you bring a product to the customer and only afterwards you will know how much it is going to cost. That's why we have all these statistics and actuaries in the pricing and assessing the claims cost. And due to that nature of the business, really knowing which trends are important for the future, even the long-term future, are absolutely key. So for us, uh, long-term thinking is a no-brainer. And has it always been like that or has it gained in importance in the past two years? It has always been like that. Maybe not as impactful as it is today because the world is changing so rapidly. But when I started in the business and we are talking now about 30 years ago, uh, at the beginning of the 90s, all of a sudden there was that issue of what we call the longevity risk. And all of a sudden, on the statistical models that became better and better, we noticed that a newborn in the 20th century won one year of life expectancy every four years. In the 20th century, the life expectancy has gone up with 25 years, so one year every four years. And actually none of the insurance companies in their long-term pension products had quantified that impact. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden the whole industry was exposed to what we call longevity risks. Gentlemen, I'm wondering, when we discuss about long-term vision, how long of a period are we actually talking about? Well, our planning uh, typically goes into a three to five year cycle. So it's relatively short for Mm -hmm. the nature of our business because the products run um, way longer. And so we needed to find a way to get better connected to that long-term future, Mm -hmm. specifically in the rapid-changing world of today. And that's why we have this Think 2030 think tank. We will not fall off the cliffs if we make a wrong judgment in mm-hmm. five years' time, but we might miss important opportunities. And Vincent, is that the same for you? Yeah, I can relate to that. Generally speaking, what we see, the questions that we get in the market is um, up to 10 years into the future. Um, and if you 
ask yourself why 10 years, it's quite logical, right? If you look 10 years into the future, it's far enough to see early signs of change even beyond those 10 years. Um, and you can monitor between zero to 10 years, so you know what's going on in that space too. Mm -hmm. And even from a company perspective, like Hans is saying, um, 10 years into the future is still time enough to, to anticipate, to know what's coming, to see that change, to anticipate and to act upon it just in time. And what about the impact of the pandemic? Do you see, Vincent, from the trends, anything particular that, you know, we would say two years ago and today is completely nonsense or unrecognizable? Well, for us, the pandemic, quite strange, is a golden age because <laughs> if you're in the data business and you can track trends and you can see the impact of COVID on certain trends, then you get massive insights that otherwise you wouldn't have. Um, And now these days, there's a lot of talk about um, will remote working stay the case? Uh, will we move into hybrid working you know, where you work at home and you go to the office? And indeed, you see these signals um, in the data. You see that they are accelerating, but um, will they stay the same? It has to do with um, well leadership, company leadership, and will they allow mm -hmm. a lot of uh, people to stay at home, for instance? But COVID has surely proven that we can do that, and it has accelerated that. I have to say, I, I honestly already find it quite difficult to plan even one or two years ahead in my personal life. So how do you plan for a company of hundreds of thousands of employees, Hans? Well, we have a quite solid three-year strategic cycle. And that's where we have also added this Think 2030 thing thing, because that's where we start the exercise. Huh? And the great thing is that it gives us structure, huh? because... Everybody has a view on the future, but we cannot build something with 40,000 employees all have a different view on the future. And so now we have a great combination of the two. We have the artificial intelligence view by transition. We have the view of our employees. And then we still have a good portion of gut feeling on top of that. And that guides us in these trends. And it's more like which are the trends at the horizon, but also how do they evolve over time? Uh, mm -hmm. A trend might break too, but a trend might also disappear. Uh, and now we have, a, I think, a very solid framework and tool to guide us to this world, which is becoming every day more and more complex. Viola, do you have something to add on that? Because you're a member of this uh, think tank too. Huh? Indeed, I was lucky enough to get selected a couple of years back and, and today I'm responsible for running it. So maybe a bit of background. Originally, I think we were around 15 people selected from all over AGS group mm -hmm. with very different backgrounds, expertise, cultures uh, from many countries. The idea was to have a, as diverse group as possible so that we, we can challenge freely each other uh, from our own standpoint, because one of the, the limitations and also one of the good things is that we have our own bias coming from our own way of living mm -hmm. and, and way of working and our own expertise. So basically, everybody in this group was allocated to one of the 10 topics. We split up the universe into 10 main domains. Just uh, to name one would be a future of work. Uh, another one would be technology and science or uh, mobility, demographics. So one of these domains we were allocated as experts and we wrote white papers on what the future might look like in these domains. Could you give me an example of a specific uh, white paper that opened up your eyes? Yeah, for me, what I learned the most was about technology and science. 
Um, of course, we know a lot about uh, new technologies that are really coming in the coming two years that we need to learn or adapt new applications. Mm -hmm. But I learned a lot about really long term technologies which are just being today researched or in an R&D phase and that might shift potentially significant topics for us, for example, in health uh, technology that might impact on the way we live in the future and how healthy we might be. Mm -hmm. And that's very important for insurance. For me, it was really an eye opener there, how many things are out there. Yeah. In the next part, we are going to discuss more about how you may not be able to predict the future, but you can foresee crucial trends with the help of technology. But Viola, what can we take away from this part? It seems like that we agree on that looking ahead to the future is a no-brainer. The only question might be, how long do we look ahead? And the most common answer I hear is more five to ten years. But how do we do that? Let's look at that as well. So, Vincent, which innovative methodologies are used today to assess the long-term future? I'm pretty sure a crystal ball is not a part of your toolbox. No, actually it's not. Uh, we have AI these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look into the past, even until today, there are numerous foresight methodologies used today for strategic planning, for strategic exercises. But the problem for me with these kind of methodologies is that um, they're based on humans and qualitative research. And what I mean is we as humans really have a difficulty to assess the future. So if you ask humans about the future, we have a problem. We're really bad at doing that. And the number one problem because of that is bias. We have our own personal bias. So historically as a person, how you grew up, the way you look into the world, um, there's an organizational bias. Organizational bias influences you by your colleagues and your peers. And we all live in our own information bubble. So the information that you mm -hmm. consume is different than the information that you consume. And that also gives you a certain view into the future. So therefore, we think that there are better ways and better tools these days uh, for that. Yeah. Indeed, a good example, I think, would be uh, the Global Risk Report of the World Economic Forum, um, which comes out every year. And there they, it also contains a risk perception survey where they ask top leaders from all over the world to pick what are the top risks in the foreseeable future. And not surprisingly, infectious diseases and, and the risk coming from infectious diseases came in as a first in 2021, while it was uh, number 10 in 2020. And it was not even on the, on the top 10 in the 10 preceding years running up until 2020. So this is kind of surprising, while many businesses look to this report. So how can we overcome this bias? Wow, that's really where the technology kicks in. For instance, the business that we're in four or five years ago, we wouldn't be able to do what we do today. And that's because of trends, technology trends like big data and AI. And I know these are like buzz terms, hypes, but they have big moved beyond the hype, moved beyond to a certain maturity level where um, you can really use these tools to, well, what we do is we monitor change on a global scale and we're able to distinguish the noise from what's truly relevant for companies. And we couldn't have done that without the technology, right? Mm -hmm. Hans, how do you feel about AI entering the boardroom? Is there trust in the machine in decision-making? Well, yes, AI becomes part of this uh, decision-making 
Because when I was sponsor of the Think 2030 Think Tank in, in the very beginning, before we even worked with transition, mm -hmm. and the team came up with all these papers, my first question was, yeah, but how are we going to prioritize here? How are we going to make the right uh, choices? It was just too many info, too many directions. And that has evolved massively the last few years because the world is connected everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we are more or less in all aspects around the human being, eh? whether it is mobility, his home, his life, his pension, his children. We are one way or another involved in all these aspects of somebody's uh, life. And so with the transition, we got a good guide to help us to give some direction in that ever-growing maze of options and uh, complexity. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, I also believe that the AI tool on the web also creates bias. Eh? And, and I'm wondering how they deal, for instance, with the growing fake news eh? um, on the web. So for me, it is a balance between the two. It's a tool. Mm -hmm. I don't see the AI taking over our decision-making in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. It's a tool mm -hmm. with all the members who have their views, with mm -hmm. the management who has their views, and many of us also a good historic gut feeling yeah. and um, expertise. And, and so for me, it is an addition mm -hmm. to bring structure. So you feel okay with uh, AI entering the boardroom? You're under control. We uh, can add another seat uh, in the boardroom <laughs> for our AI friend. Yeah. Viola, do you agree with your CEO? Yeah, of course. <laughs> What else can I do? <laughs> no, but uh, on, on, on the practical side, that's, that is also what we see happening in reality is that we can't base everything on the internal knowledge of the people, though we have excellent experts in-house. But being an expert in your domain means that you are an expert in your mm -hmm. domain and not globally across all domains. And so even though we have a quite extensive internal survey where we uh, ask uh, more than a thousand people from our own employees what they think about a specific trend, and, and we primarily ask um, what What do you think how impactful this trend might be in the future for AGS? And secondly, also, when do you think this might hit us or hit with a risk or hit with an opportunity? Mm -hmm. And so the employees score these trends. But in the end, what do we take away? Uh, can we really do an actionable framework around it? And that's where we use the AI to help us objectify the internal views of the employees so that we are not basing ourselves on a, on a kind of average score, but we can tap into data-driven insights uh, from the AI. Mm -hmm. Maybe Vincent is better to, to explain that part. Yeah, so basically what we do with, um, with big data and AI, uh, first of all, AI needs data. So what we do is we monitor, we call it open big data, basically the internet. Because these days, the internet and real life are like communicating barrels. So whatever happens in real life, you find signals almost instantly on the internet and vice versa. And I always use an example. A couple of months ago, there was... Um, a TikTok video going viral um, about a pasta dish with feta cheese. Uh, I don't know if you saw it on the news, but at some point in time, all Flemish supermarkets, the feta cheese was sold out. So it's also what happens on the internet. You find uh, real proof points in real life. Mm -hmm. um, and this is basically what we do. We monitor the internet and then we use AI to contextualize all this massive amount of information so that we really know what it's all about and that we can um, really spot trends and link it back to a certain context. A context can be an industry, a context can be a region in the world. And this is how we add value. We can really show trends impacting companies. And we can say to companies, hey, 
uh, company X. These are the trends that are impacting you today. These are the trends that are impacting you tomorrow. And these are the trends the day after tomorrow. Mm-hmm. As we are discussing the power of data and AI, um, maybe it's a strange question, but how representative is the data from something that happened in the past to look at the future? Is this a strange question? Can you predict the future by using the data of the past? That's a really good question, and one that we get quite often, actually. Um, To a certain extent, no. Nobody can predict the future. There is no something as the future. There are multiple versions of the future. But what you can do with big data and AI is you can look into the past, you can see different patterns appearing, you can see contexts, you can see um, how trends converged and are playing out into the future. So what you can do is you can take all these patterns, use AI to assess the patterns and predict probable outcomes. So basically what we do is we predict different scenarios, Mm -hmm. probable scenarios. Uh, X chance that this scenario will play out, Y chance that that scenario will play out. But then, um, and it's like Hans mentioned, it's not a replacement of strategy. It's an augmentation of strategy because you still need humans to see these results, take the Mm -hmm. insights, map it onto the specific business contexts um, and act upon it, basically. That's something we like to hear. They still need humans. For (laughs) now. (laughs) For now. Thank you, Vincent. I I can compare it with uh, how we did it before, because that was in the beginning my profession. We look at the past. We have some very complex statistical formulas that we put on top of it, and then we make prediction on the future to identify future customer needs, to design future covers, or to just price the product. So you you see the very different approach. And and in my early days, it was still with uh, a pencil and paper. eh? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't artificial intelligence or something I never never heard of. But what I have learned in in my career of 30 years is that relevance and the reliability from the past on the future becomes shorter and shorter and shorter. And the level of uncertainty next to your statistical evidence becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we need more intelligence tools um, to to master that. And let me take one example. eh? The future of work is a team that is already on their way there for a few years. And all of a sudden we say, okay, this is going to accelerate with COVID. We are not going to work anymore like we have been working before. Mm -hmm. But honestly... How it is exactly going to look like three, five, ten years from now, nobody knows. And when I ask our employees coming back to the office, everybody has a different view and definitely everybody has a different preference. One day and sooner than later, we will have to make a decision. How are we going to position ourselves as a key employer with 19 nationalities in the corporate center mm-hmm. in this changing world of working together. Now, we've been talking about broad strategies up until now, but can you also use these methodologies to take a more narrow look at the future and focus on only one topic, like, for example, climate change? Um, yeah, it really depends. If what we're talking about here is long-term strategic planning, mm-hmm. then you can't. You need to assess all drivers of change, whether that's global, whether that's um, change happening in your environment or your industry, your ecosystem, your stakeholders, or whether it's happening in your company. You need all that information so that executives um, and, and, and board members like Hans can make the right decisions, right? But if you're looking into the short term, 
for instance, for innovation purposes, let's say two years into the future, and you want to zoom in on a specific domain uh, like we did with mobility, with data, topics like urbanization, and also sustainability or climate change, then yes, then you can zoom in and you can really see on a short-term basis what's going on. For mm -hmm. instance, what are your competitors doing? What are leading companies in that space doing? Do we see startups appearing who have a cool value proposition? Do we see new products that are getting market traction? Um, what about new business models that are appearing? And so on and so on. So can, you can really narrow that down and, and look at a specific domain then, yes. And um, what we still faced as a kind of pitfall is the granularity. So how deep do you go? What depth do you define a trend? And then our internal choice was to go granular because you can always uh, combine and cluster things. But then, of course, your another pitfall might be also even like COVID, what we call the so-called black swan events, which are low probability, but potentially high impact. Uh, another example would be a world war. So what other pitfalls can we face? These really challenge the trend forecasting. Of course, we don't call it forecasting, but uh, the scenario planning. How do we look at that? What other pitfalls should we uh, be aware of, Hans? Yeah, well, the main risk is that we start overanalyzing huh, in the search for certainty, huh? a certainty that you will not find. Huh? At the end of the day, we still need to dare to make choices and take decisions and have confidence in our judgment to make decisions. And that's also still the definition of a decision. The decision is making a choice with a level of uncertainty because otherwise it's not a decision anymore, it's a fact. So we will have to live with some remaining uncertainty and then being agile, being creative, have an innovative culture to still adjust your uh, decisions whenever you see trends uh, changing on your road to your destination. Huh? And even, f let me again make the link with the pandemic, I think we, we did very well. Huh? All our employees stayed very much engaged, all our customers have been served all the time. That is something you do not build during the pandemic you have built before the pandemic. You have that company culture, you have that agility, you have that creativity, and then the whole organization will navigate through that situation, even when it is a black swan. Learned so much this part, Viola. Can you summarize this and give us a takeaway? Indeed, maybe the main takeaway is that there is no right way of doing it, long-term thinking. Probably a combination of many tools will work best. And combining humans and, and, and experts in the organization with available technologies like artificial intelligence and really data-driven insights might be the good way forward. Mm -hmm. But um, if I hear Hans well, then we really need to be open to challenge and maybe also to get challenged. And that might be linking also strongly to company culture. So we talked about different methodologies, but let's get into the concrete advantages of long-term thinking. What can you learn from monitoring specific trends, Hans? Well, Everybody in the organization uh, will pick his own thoughts and views and learn something. Of course, in my position, I look more at the global level. And, and I take a typical example of our previous exercise, where the product managers in Motor, of course, looked at driverless cars, what's going to happen. And then those in home, 
they looked at the Internet of Things and the sensors in my home, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then the guys and girls from healthcare, they said, okay, the smartwatch and my health, what's going to happen? So they take their points for their own products. And I said, but look, if you put everything together, that means that technology, the science and the data will bring the claims frequency down. And for the car, some people even say it will come to zero and no accidents anymore. And so then it was my job, for instance, to say, okay, but if claims frequency goes down and you see that technology helps us to work on the area of prevention, well, the first question then to ask is, okay, how can we then maybe earn some money in the area of prevention? Everybody in his own division will learn something out of these trends. So this is not an exercise for the top We want to distribute the findings of our study throughout the whole organization. And how are you going to integrate this long-term thinking concretely into an everyday operations of a company? I assume it's not done overnight. No, no. And the steps to take eh? after Mm -hmm. the trend study, eh? the first trend study we saw was 315 pages. eh? So you're not yet with working material. But then I think we categorize into alerts, no-brainers, speed up alarms, and then the observatory and the parking. For instance, driverless cars is a great example, which was high on the alert. Mm -hmm. It now moved to the background, because beginning we said 2024, a big chunk of the mobility will be driverless cars. Now we say, no, it's not going to happen so fast. So that's how we treat them, so that we can select and prioritize, and some just go in the background, and we will look at them again, potentially out of the parking in three years' time. Mm -hmm. With those, then, we start that strategic cycle. We review them, and everybody is studying the impact on their business, and some of them get subject to a deep dive study, and then we really make almost um, a final paper of a university student study in depth on that trend, and then we define strategic direction and everybody in the organization then gets access to it and then we design the strategy, the products, Mm -hmm. the customer journeys that we want to rework, the HR will look at the future of work and so everybody picks its own uh, team. Now, Vincent, how can you distinguish which uh, specific trends are important to a company and how and when they should respond to them? Because that's the crucial question. Indeed, they should know um, what's coming, they should know how hard it will hit them, and then most important question is indeed when and how should we respond. So um, you can really use AI-driven strategic tools for that. They will help you find these answers, but Mm -hmm. you still need, like Hans said, internal expert knowledge to be able to take those insights and act upon it. So what you need to do is you need to involve, and this is something that I always uh, tell in the beginning of a project, we need to involve strategy and innovation teams in the whole company because it's these teams that need to analyze it, act upon it, and assess whether what the objectified insights from the data tells you is actually impactful on your business. So you need a certain corporate governance structure in place to be able to act upon it. And how can this long-term thinking fuel your strategy and positioning? For me, long-term planning is part of your strategy. So it's it's a combination. But looking into the long-term really helps you um, assess 
what's going on in your market mm -hmm. and you are way ahead in time to anticipate. Mm -hmm. And if you are in time to anticipate, you can backtest what you see in the long term against your strategy, your current product portfolio. Do you have the right skills in place? Do you have the right teams in place? So long-term planning, backtesting it against your current strategy and seeing if you need to pivot to change anything and to basically be ready for that future change. That's indeed along the lines what we uh, what we also do internally. I think Hans uh, quickly touched upon how we uh, try to make the whole long-term thinking actionable. So, for example, if we internally agree with the AI that there's a trend really today here, very impactful, then those trends seem to be a no-brainer. So these should really be in your strategic thinking today, these are really happening in the coming two, three years. So, so you should be ready for them. And there are a couple of other trends where the AI thinks these are happening fast and impactful, but internally we might have a kind of gap, a bit of time lag. We only think these will happen more on, on the midterm. These are what we call uh, the speed ups. So these are really trends where we might need to speed up efforts. And then uh, there are a couple of trends which are always alarming, where we are completely disagreeing with the AI. Those are always good debates. And that's where Hans said a deep dive could be really useful. And then we also have many trends which are more on the mid to long term, yet impactful. And the question there is when to act. So here you really have to understand what the risks and opportunities might be related to these trends. The perfect example is really the autonomous driving and autonomous vehicles. And then, of course, we have a couple of trends we just park because we don't see today that they will be really impactful for us. So we go back and revisit them next year. And that's where the backtesting comes back. Mm -hmm. So we look back what we thought last year or the year before and how have they evolved. Mm -hmm. And what about blockchain technology? Is it alarming um, or... It is it also alarming for us. Is it alarming? Yeah, okay. indeed. We see uh, today a couple of good examples in insurance industry, but they seem to be quite local, linked to specific countries and specific driving forces and are not yet widespread globally. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting framework. Yeah, and, and, and next to that... I Let's not forget, we work in two regions, eh, in Asia and in Europe. Also there, we see a difference. Eh? And a, a typical example we are working in right now is, is the evolution of digital platforms. Eh? Those platform providers who are looking for insurance companies to provide them cover for the service that they bring to their customer. A trend which you see in high demand and rapidly growing in Asia because there is a big population not having an insurance relationship yet. And as they grow up in the digital world, the digital platforms are highly likely their first access to insurance. In Europe, everybody has an insurance relationship or an insurance intermediary, a broker or the bank. Yeah? And so digital platforms have it more difficult to get into that market. So the speed of trends mm -hmm. is very different uh, between the two. So this is also an example where we can navigate, I would say, around hypes and really keep an eye on the long-term trends um, mm. behind this. So is it like Amazon, which is an e-commerce? Yes, e yes, it could be it Amazon. It sells food, it yes. sells... Yeah. 
Amazon, okay. you have Ant Financial in China, you have yeah. Flipkart in India, yeah. okay. those type of providers, yes. We have almost come to an end of this uh, episode, but uh, to finish off, gentlemen, could you give us your own takeaway, your main advice for organizations who want to start anticipating their long-term future, Vincent? I'll try to give three points. Um, point one is that, yeah, we live in this fast changing world, unpredictable world. So don't make the mistake of not planning in the long term and try to do it continuously. So not a one-off project, but really uh, do it continuously. Um, I'm in the technology business, so um, use that technology. It's at hand, it has matured, it can help support boardrooms and better decision making. Mm -hmm. So use it, don't be afraid of it. And uh, the third one, maybe to end up with a, a quote from the famous uh, management consultant guru, Peter Drucker, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And this is for me the same with long-term planning. So involve your entire organization on all levels. Make sure that it becomes a culture to look into the future and be able to act upon it again continuously. Thank you, Vincent. Hans? Well, if I may give a few tips... Well, first of all, I would say uh, filter hypes from the long-term trends and do not jump on everything. Um, secondly, always keep a balance with the impact and the risk of trends on your current business with the new opportunities that you will discover in those trends. Um, thirdly, we uh, tend maybe to overestimate sometimes the impact in the short term, but very often we underestimate the impact in the long run. And last but not least, AI is a great tool, but stay connected because with many together, we will always know more than just you. Thank you, Hans. Thank you, Vincent, for providing so much value in this first episode of the podcast. Viola, thank you for being my co-host. It was great having you all here in our studio. Thank you, Janka. Thank you too, Janka. Yeah, thanks. It was a great chat. Thank you for listening to Studio 2030, brought to you by Aegeas. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. For more information on Aegeas, please check out the company website at aegeas.com. Yeah.